Hey everyone, we want to welcome you to the Floater Founder Podcast. This is a Toronto-based podcast featuring local founders across all markets. We are your hosts, Samantha Lloyd and Lyson Casey. We are going to be bringing you interviews with exciting and hardworking founders. They will be sharing their experience creating and leading a company. Thanks for listening. Hi everyone, you're here with Floater Founder. I'm your host, Samantha Lloyd, and I have an adorable puppy named Herschel on my lap, who is my co-host. But I also have Liza and Casey here, who's also a great co-host. Hello, I'm not an adorable puppy, but I'm here. But you're here. (laughs) (laughs) And today we have the pleasure of interviewing Jodi Kovitz. She is the CEO and founder of Move the Dial, and someone that I've really admired in the tech community for the past few years. So thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And so to start it off, um, let our audience know, what is Move the Dial? So Move the Dial is a global movement and organization working to advance the participation and leadership of all women-identified folks in tech. That's awesome. And what inspires you to start this? So my daughter is really my, my inspiration for the movement. She's almost 11. She loves to code. And I would really love there to be a day in her generation where we're not talking about gender anymore as a determinant or or, um, factor in whether she's able to be successful as an entrepreneur. Move the Dial was created through meeting a whole bunch of incredible humans and leaders doing great work that happened to be women. And it happened really after I joined uh, a tech organization as the CEO in 2016, where there just were not very many women reflected at the leadership table. So putting together, meeting awesome leaders that happened to be women with what I saw as a real need to advance more women into leaders is, is really the genesis of what, how Move the Dial started. Awesome. And in your time running Move the Dial, what are some of the positive things that you have seen uh, come about for women in the tech space? So that's a fantastic question, and I would say a lot. There's been a tremendous amount of positive change in the ecosystem over the last few years. First, the conversation around advancing all the humans is really front and center. It's been a very cultural shift. I think part of that is as a result of a number of movements that have helped to shape the culture and the consciousness. So Me Too and Time's Up had a massive impact on our collective societal consciousness. So I think that's a huge factor. I think we've also seen so many leaders galvanize around the idea that we need action in order to help a group that is not, you know, part of the majority in an ecosystem actively to be successful. So, you know, for example, in the Move the Dial community, we've touched over 50,000 humans in the last couple of years that's in huge part to, due to so many leaders buying into the need to go out of our way and, and actively move the dial to bring up the women to close the gender gap. Yeah. And what can companies do aside from, of course, moving women into executive roles and preparing women within their teams to move into that space? What else can companies do to encourage women to apply for these roles to get that starting point going? There's a lot of different tactics that different companies uh, use. I think it's really a matter of starting at the beginning. So when we think about, I mean, that's a very big question and there's a very big answer to that question. You know, one thing that we've really seen through the work we've done is that we really need to show role models to the young girls 
you know, and, and women, when I say girls, I mean all kinds of people that identify as girls in any way, just to be clear, from a very early stage. So it really begins early, early in the pipeline before we can even get to recruiting. We have to start early in the pipeline to, to show people as young as six that there's all kinds of different leaders. And then when we think about what companies can do to attract talent that are graduating with STEM degrees, it's, I think it's still really important to show a roadmap and a pathway. So what we hear a lot from the young graduates is that they want to go to companies where they can see different kinds of leaders reflected at the tables. And it's not just from a gender perspective. It's also really bringing quite an intersectional lens to the recruiting efforts and, and how who they're showcasing and how in order to demonstrate that not only is it a company that would be great to work at, but it's a company they can thrive at and stay and grow at, and that that's been a really important factor. So when companies think about how they're recruiting talent, I think modeling different kinds of leaders is really important. I also think, you know, how companies are approaching their hiring practice is is something really important for them to think about. Um, and there's a whole variety of tactics that they can use. I would encourage them, you know, to, to really be very comprehensive and thoughtful about the strategy from how they approach building out their slates of candidates to how they're building processes around their review and interview process to manage bias. That is a fact of life that everybody has bias. And so we just have to understand how to overcome both conscious and unconscious biases in the, in the recruiting practices, as well as how they onboard and then develop the talent that they have to help them thrive in the organizations. So from uh, watching your daughter in school, do you think that schools are doing enough to help girls achieve goals in STEM or even pursue STEM or no? I think... I'm a glass half full kind of girl, so I think, you know, a variety of different levels of government are doing a lot of work to really try to address this problem. I do think it's on all of us, both at the, at the education level, at the, you know, uh, media level, and actually as parents and caregivers, it's extremely important. We all have a very important role to play in terms of the types of exposure schools can, even if a school like my daughter's public school recently built a STEM lab and implemented programming around teaching the teachers, if the parents aren't and caregivers aren't doing our part at home to continue to expose our youth to different opportunities, then, you know, it doesn't, from my perspective, really matter what the schools are doing. It really is a multi-pronged approach that is required. And that also leads to accessibility and democratization of access to opportunities to be inspired. In Canada, for example, we have some incredible programs that the federal government has funded through um, Canada Learning Code and Actua, as well as Girls Who Code, who came from the U.S. Those programs are really, really important and really enabling sort of democratized access and, and frequent exposure is just as important from my perspective as the school's implementing programs. I would say at the same time, it's really important for the provincial governments in Canada who have jurisdiction over education to be consistent in their approach and enabling all the different kinds of of youth to have access. Some schools, um, depending on where they're located, have much more marginalized 
students and and even more effort is required in those in those school to enable the same kind of access that we might have for kids that are come from more privileged neighborhoods backgrounds lived experiences and and one of the things that I'm really passionate about long term is really galvanizing our community of uh, values aligned humans to work together with different levels, levels of government to enable that. Awesome. Um, sitting here in your office, looking at some of the picks you have up, you've met some really impressive women like uh, Michelle Obama and Ellen DeGeneres. Um, what, uh, what, what kind of lessons do you say that these women would have for other women that are just trying to start out in, in making businesses for themselves? That's a great question. I feel extremely privileged to have created a, a life and community that has enabled me the opportunity to meet some of these remarkable human beings. I think, you know, for me, one of the greatest lessons I draw on many of my role models, including the two that you've mentioned, are the importance of uh, connecting human to human. I think both of those individuals, Michelle Obama and Ellen DeGeneres, deeply care about other human beings and have found very impactful ways to scale that compassion and humility. I also think there's something about believing in the beauty of your dreams and then going and building them. And that is something, you know, for me that I look to those incredible women and many other role models that I have that to build a big thing, you have to have a really big vision that seems quite audacious and almost unattainable. And then you have to create a step-by-step plan to do it. You have to be flexible and resilient so that when your plan doesn't work, you can pivot and go another way. And you have to think bigger than you ever dreamed because if you, unless you do, you can't achieve, um, you know, impact at the scale of some of those role models. And I, when I grew up, I, I read a lot of books about, uh, I read tons of biographies and autobiographies and I was also fascinated by mountain climbing and not because I'll ever climb Mount Everest, but I probably read a hundred books and watched like a million documentaries on it. <laughs> Because I'm fascinated with setting goals that are almost too difficult to achieve until you break the attainment of those goals down into the smallest parts. And and when I think about what those women have achieved, it really is having this, you know, very grand vision, caring deeply about other humans and, and really being, you know, committed to the execution of that vision one step at a time. And in terms of starting um, Move the Dial, why the focus on the tech industry and how did you yourself break into the tech industry? So when I graduated from Ivy 20 years ago, (coughs) almost 20 years ago, (laughs) um, my first job was at a tech company. And I was so lucky to work at WorkBrain with David Ossip, who was the CEO then, and he's now the CEO of a company called Ceridian. And the reason I was so lucky is because he had really, really capable people on his team. He was a visionary. He had a very global vision. And he was building technology to solve a really big problem. So I was very fortunate to work with him, and I learned a ton from him over the period of time that I was there. I then met an incredible role model that I wanted to be like. So when we go back to sort of what I talked about a bit earlier around role models, and so I left the tech company and went into banking just because I wanted to be like that woman. And, you know, fast forward 20 years later, after I spent some time in in banking HR, and then I became a lawyer, and then I left the practice of law and moved into strategic business development, I saw what was doing in the tech scene and I was excited about it. Both, you know, as someone who's a close advisor to me, Chad Bain, who 
runs the um, emerging technology practice at Osler, who I, where I worked in strategic business development, and my brother was starting his fintech company. I just thought that it was so exciting and that tech was the future. So that's why I put my hat in the ring to run for the CEO opportunity, you know, to interview for the CEO opportunity at Ace Tech, now called PeerScale. I was super excited about that being the future of where the world was going and everything being really tech-reliant. And that's where I noticed that there was such a massive gender gap. So obviously tech is not the only industry where there's a gender gap, but given from my perspective that tech is everything, every single product and service we need and use will rely on technology in some form. And the, the gap, the gender gap is so significant still. The numbers around that are in our report that are on our website at movethedal.com. We look at 5% of women, of founders of tech companies are women, for example, and 13% of tech companies, you know, don't have a, a female, um, only 13% of tech companies have a woman executive uh, on their team. Those are numbers that are just shocking to me. And uh, although we'll be updating those numbers soon, when we started this work, it was just was a natural place to start. If you can talk about the upcoming summit, we're super excited about Thank that. You. And um, so how is it actually planning a summit and making these events come to life? So when I started Move the Dial, I had a vision to build a best in the world inclusion summit. It's a pretty bold vision. It's like, I want this to be the best in the world at what this is. And the reason why I started there is I really wanted to set the bar very high from a experiential perspective of humans coming in and experiencing what Move the Dial is as a brand and as a community, as well as from a programming perspective. I wanted no human to feel that they were wasting one minute of their day if they were going to join us. And that was the vision. The purpose was to inspire to enable meaningful connection within a values-aligned community and to enable humans to grow. And that really was the feedback after last year. We Last year in our inaugural year, we booked it. I remember putting the deposit on my credit card before I had even had any funding for Move the Dial in 2018. We ended up having 1,000 people, 3.4 million uses of our hashtag in one day. Incredible feedback from speakers and, and attendees. And so this year, we had a vision around doubling the size and impact and so we booked Roy Thompson Hall. We're very excited that we have over 100 speakers traveling in from all over the world, actually, to join us. The morning is focused on substantive diversity, inclusion, and equity learnings that anyone can draw on for their company or for themselves, whether you're actually an HR leader or responsible for those strategies or whether you're teaching from the side or up, you know, teaching up. And then meaningful activations and, and artistic, you know, experiences from singing to um, po slam poetry to, you know, a health oasis and meditation and art exhibits. And then in the afternoon, we're really shining a light on incredible leaders telling their stories from, you know, Lee Turner, who's currently the president of Ceridian running a billion dollar software company. There's not that many people who identify as women doing that to Bozoma St. John, who was at Uber in such a critical time as their DNI lead and now is the CMO of Endeavor to Aaron and Sarah Foster, who are the co-creative um, directors at Bumble 
to Tenzin Selden, who's built an incredible piece of technology to enable refugees to advance and, you know, is a Rhodes Scholar coming in from the U.S. I mean, people from uh, overseas in Japan. It's just a phenomenal lineup, and we can't wait to welcome the community to, to share this experience. And it's so exciting to bring those individuals into Toronto as well and show them what um, you're building here, what everyone's building here in tech and beyond that. For sure. And it's really meant to be exactly that, sharing, showcasing Toronto's tech. And, and also the other thing that's really interesting about the summit that if you come, you'll see, we really, um, we work very hard to model what best-in-class inclusive design should look like at technology conferences. We are on a constant journey. It's not to say we have it perfect. We will always be learning. We welcome feedback. And we work with inclusive designers to very carefully design an experience where every human can feel they belong. Mm -hmm. I love that. Awesome. Um, So Move the Dial has helped a lot in balancing the playing field for women in the workplace, but there's still a lot to be done. Um, What would you say, how would you go about kind of ending this stigma? And what would you say is the the largest roadblock still out there? So from my perspective, enabling those people that have the opportunity to control the strategic direction of a company and the investment that's made in building inclusive teams and teams that enable that talent to feel that they belong is really about understanding the why. So why do we have to go all in and make it a strategic priority to move the dial? We are past the moral imperative from my perspective. Like we are clear. It is 2000 and almost 20. We are clear. Equality matters. Absolutely. Number one. Number two, there's been a ton of research around more diversity at our board and leadership tables equals better business results. I think we're clear. The reason why they need to go all in is in order for them to build the very best products and services that actually serve the entire population. And so in order to design products and services that serve the needs of everybody, we need to have all the different humans and lived experiences at our design, leadership, and governance tables. It's pretty simple. And from what I've seen over the last few years of doing this work, once companies get it, once they've arrived at what I would call that aha in their own personal and collective inclusion journeys, because every individual and company goes along these journeys, including myself, where we have moments of awakening and deeper understanding of what it takes. But once companies really understand that, it shifts the, I have to do this because it needs to go in my annual report, or we should get more women to, wow, we really value the perspectives, lives experiences, and insights that women-identified folks can uniquely bring to the table, particularly with different intersectional lenses. And once we understand that, we actually will go all in and go, Make it a strategic priority in order to change what our tables look like. We will spend money. We will appoint a human in order to be responsible for it. And that it will become a priority no different than a new growth market, a pricing strategy, a revenue line. It is those companies that go all in with that level of commitment that will close the gap and actually win in the market. From my perspective, that is the greatest opportunity And the roadblocks really are just, from my perspective, like in the most, there's many, this is a very complex system with many different challenges, but at the highest level, it's really about um, an openness to evolving along the journey of understanding the value of having diversity of thought at our design leadership and board tables, and then making a choice to act in order to, to change 
what those tables look like. And in growing your own team, how was that process? And how did you keep diversity and inclusion? I mean, obviously, that's the forefront of your company. But how did you also keep it in mind in your hiring practices? Great question. You know, it's been a very long and difficult journey for me as well. And I, you know, we all have our own biases, conscious and unconscious. And what I've learned, and one of the many very important lessons, is that good intentions are different than intentionality. So when I started, admittedly, and this is a story I share in a book that I have coming out, when I started, all of a sudden I turned around and the whole team looked like me. I had four white women on the team. And that was not something that I was proud of. And it was something that required intense focus, a huge openness to learning, coaching by experts that are, you know, know how to build inclusive teams. I, I hired an, uh, you know, a fantastic recruiter and I hired an expert to advise me on how to build more inclusive hiring tech practices. We ended up making changes to our process. We did broad outreach to numerous groups to invite humans to apply. We used a technology platform to strip the biased language out of our job descriptions. We had to do things like hire consultants to give us more time to make sure that we could attract different types of candidates. And the first few members that we hired to the team that were brought diverse lived experience and various intersections to our our table, you know, took some real, you know, it took some real trust building um, to understand that we really did want to build a movement that was relevant to all different people, even though they might be the first person of color on the team. Now I'm extremely joyful that we have an incredibly diverse team, many different humans that bring different lived experiences in every form, many different backgrounds, lived experiences, you know, ages, uh, perspectives, and it's much, it's sort of ingrained now in who we are. And I think actually having a diverse team begets having more diverse members of the world that want to join the team because they can see that it, there's no tokenism. There's, there's a really thoughtful team with different perspectives. And you can, I think, see it in our programming in terms of it, it speaks for itself now that we have a very um, thoughtful, you know, mosaic of different perspectives that go into programming what we do. But, you know, I would say it's the hardest, it was one of the hardest lessons for me. And it was definitely uh, a gift because now I know how much I have personally I have to learn. And I'm very aware of my relative privilege and, and will be on a lifelong journey to keep learning. And I just encourage others to be willing to self-reflect and, and own that we don't know what we don't know and be, be willing to learn and listen as you develop your own teams. So, yeah, growing and learning as a human being is super uh, important. And you were talking earlier about how you would consult with different people. And I see a big pile of books over there on your desk. Are there any books you recommend or are there any coaches that, that you always go to for advice? H how do you go about growing and learning as a, as, a, as a person? Having a growth mindset is incredibly important to me. So I have a number of mentors, probably 10, who all serve different purposes for me who I talk to about the challenges that I'm having and my ideas to have a safe place to banter and, and get feedback. 
and and always you know I'm willing to and want to learn and listen to those who have skills that you know I don't have so that's a huge part of what I you know what I attribute the success of Move the Dial to is having sort of a tribe of mentors that I consult with on a very regular basis. Second, I read a ton. I've always been a voracious reader. I now mostly read on Audible, but I'm always listening to books and podcasts. And I think even when I'm working, I'm listening to podcasts. I listen to Robin Sharma a lot. Early in my career, I found him and he You know, just I find he is very inspiring to me around staying in a very driven, um, can-do mindset. So that's, I use him for that purpose. I read a lot of Timothy Ferris's books and and blogs. I listen to his podcast as well. I find that it's it's fascinating to me on many different levels, including self-care required of a founder and CEO, given the volume of work. Um, I read a lot of different work by different inclusive designers to inform and teach me. So Kat Holmes, for example, is one. She's coming to speak at the summit. She has a book called Mismatch. Um, and it's really about sort of inclusive design, very current thinking. I, you know, Angela Duckworth's Grit is a, is a book that, you know, I keep coming back to when I need to be reminded of a little bit of grit. And I, again, I read tons of biographies and autobiographies. So I recently read Shoe Dog. And it's the story of how Nike was built. And it really inspires me in terms of you can trust your intuition and your gut. And how do you build a big thing one step at a time? So those are some of the books that I listen to. I also do a lot of coaching. I have different coaches specifically that help me with different things. I have a wellness coach who's my naturopath, who I see regularly, who really helps me bolster my energy. I have a business coach who I spend a lot of time with to really work through different personal growth challenges so that I can be the best leader I can be. And I have a personal coach to help me with my sort of, you know, self-awareness, self-love, parenting, you know, all the other pieces. And, And I actually hugely attribute my ability to lead this movement and this organization to having a growth mindset. There's also a book, um, Growth Mindset, by um, Carol Duwick, I think is how you pronounce her last name. It's fascinating. And uh, my friend Armagon encouraged me um, to read that book, and it was really a gift for me. And, you know, it really is about the constant state of willingness to grow and better myself, and that I think enables me to be at, at, in a position um, to carry the responsibility that I feel to, to do this movement proud. Yeah, thank you for sharing all that with the audience. And you mentioned that you listen to podcasts, but also Move the Dial uh, just wrapped up their first season of the podcast. So congrats on that. Thank you. That's really the team. They've done, done an incredible job. But yeah, the vision around the podcast dial moving mm-hmm. is to share best practices around impactful mentorship relationships and really would encourage anyone listening to go download Dial Moving. It's on our website. It's in Spotify. It's in the App Store, all the, all the things. Um and we're really, really excited about it. It's really honest, authentic conversations around how you can make the most of your mentoring relationships. That's awesome. All right. Well, we have a couple um, kind of final, more fun questions for you. Hopefully you found those fun. They were fun. I had a great time with you. <laughs> These ones we define as more fun. Um, so what is um, something that you think that Toronto has that no other city does? incredible diversity in our population. We have incredible humans from all over the world and we have beautiful pockets that are cultural 
and that enable different cultures that make their home in Toronto to thrive and to celebrate. And I think that's one of the most unique things about our city. What is one place that you recommend people must visit when they come to Toronto? Must visit in Toronto. Well, I love Kensington because, but to that end, there's just such an array of different um, cultural you know, tastes that you can have. And my daughter for Mother's Day last year took me on a walking food tour of Toronto and we went around Kensington and, and ate food from 10 countries in two hours. I wow. was very full. That is a fabulous but it was very gift. delicious. <laughs> and I strongly encourage people to go check it out. Amazing. Uh, what was your very first job? My first job was I worked at Sporting Life and I worked in child's soft goods. So I sold ski jackets and I made exactly $5.15 an hour. I will never forget it. And I got in a car accident when I was 16 and had to give every cent I earned to my dad <laughs> to pay for the deductible. <laughs> what I learned at Sporting Life, which had an incredible service ethos, was the, how to listen to the customer and to really identify what the customer needed. Also, we didn't earn commission. So it was really about team and understanding that it was really about all of us working together to make the customers have a great experience. And I think that's very much part of the ethos of my company now. For any entrepreneur that wants to do what you're doing, what are the first steps they should take? Great question. So I always say, dream it, plan it, go get it. So first, allow yourself to dream. And anyone that I'm coaching or mentoring, I always say, you know, if you could do anything, if you could visualize yourself in three years living in what I call your superpower, which is where your absolute passion, whatever it is that you love the most, meets your number one top skill. And I'm not talking about something you're good at. Okay, we're all good at many things. What's the thing that you are so good at that it doesn't feel like work? Can you marry that skill and your passion together? And and could you see yourself building a company or an organization or whatever it is you want to build around those two things. Dream it. Then you got to plan it. So you actually literally have to make a plan. It doesn't matter how, in a spreadsheet, in a Google Doc, on a piece of paper, on a napkin. But you have to write out the steps, step by step, of what you're going to do in order to achieve that big dream. And then you have to find the drive within you. You have to self-actualize. Nobody, you know, is going to make that happen for you. That has to be something that comes within you. And it's not easy. I get up many days at four in the morning to do emails. And then again, I'm working you know, extremely late at night. And the to-do list never ends. And particularly as you're growing a company and you're responsible for people's livelihoods, the pressure mounts. If you can keep yourself in the purpose behind the why you want to go get it, what is it that motivates you? What is fueling you? Um, it, it actually doesn't feel like that much work. And um, finally, what is some general advice that you would give to any current founder or entrepreneur? Remember to take time to love yourself and take care of yourself because it's very, very easy to burn out, to lose your passion, to become too tied with your identity into your company. So I would strongly encourage anybody to go dream it, plan it, go get it and make time to nourish yourself, fill your bucket, reset. That's something I've been working on really hard. And one of the ways that I do that is I go to sleep early and I also take one day a week that's a rest day that I do not work and I will not allow myself even if there are big things. And I take the day to just connect with myself and connect with family. And I really encourage people to build that in at the beginning so they don't ever get to a point where they're, they can't see the forest through the trees. Mm -hmm. That's great advice, great habits to build. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for being part of the podcast. My pleasure. Um, really appreciate it. Yeah, it was great having you here. There was a lot of insightful, actual, actionable tips that you gave that people can go out there and do. So thank you so much for that. My and pleasure. don't forget to download the Dial Moving podcast as well. <laughs> yes, and like it, subscribe it, share it. We wanted to thank you so much for coming in. We had such a great time interviewing you for Floater Founder. And thank you so much to our listeners. We are so excited to share more founder stories with you. Until Until next time. time.